Well, I invite you to turn over in your in your bulletin over to page three. We're coming to the end of our sermon series on the church and all her servants. Uh, there's there's probably in two weeks going to be a one last kind of pro, uh, epilogue to the to the series. Uh, but, but starting to, to wrap up this series on the life of the church and the servants in the church. And here are probably a good place uh, to, to wrap things up, thinking about the church looking forward. So, so what is it that we can expect as we, as we look forward, whether it's a local church here or the church as a, as a whole? What can we expect that God will, will do? Well, this is a great passage to, to look at. It's Jesus himself. Uh, talking about about his church, and it comes uh, right in the midst of one of the most important passages in the in the New Testament. So we're going to focus in on just one verse, uh, but see that it comes in a, a really critical context. So we'll read the whole the whole larger passage. It's Matthew sixteen, starting at verse thirteen. So let's let's read God's word together. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things uh, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day ride be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, uh, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And we pray that you would use it as you put lightning, Lord, that we might know you better and know your plan. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've, if you've ever studied the book of Matthew, then you start to discover that this particular passage is really a, a, a key turning point in the gospel. Uh, it's, it's here there's a kind of hinge in the, in the life of Jesus. You can see it reflected in the passage as it says, oh, from then on, he began to teach them. A kind of hinge. Jesus 
here asking who people say that he is and Peter giving the response. Uh, Peter being the first human to do it. The first human on earth to declare, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And this key passage then, a turning point in the book, uh, comes in this context. And, And whatever Jesus says in this occasion, well, it must be really important. If his whole ministry kind of turns and, and, and refocuses at this point, what he talks about here must be something, wow, we should pay attention to this. And, and sure enough, that's what we're going to do. And notice that he takes this occasion to talk about the church. Now, now, Jesus doesn't use that word church very often. Very few times in the Gospels. It shows up a lot uh, in the epistles, but and though he mentions the concept quite a bit, He only chooses to use the word church. The disciples can expect and what we can expect. So as we kind of wrap up our series on what the church is all about and who serves in the church, okay, now we're looking forward. What's next? What can we expect from the church and God doing in the church? Uh, Well, Jesus helps us. Verse 18 is where we're going to focus. So the first thing we can expect is expect a church builder. Expect a church builder. Uh, There in our our focal verse, uh, verse 18, Jesus declares, I will build my church. All right, so here's Peter. He's just declared uh, that uh, that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Messiah. Same same word in two different languages. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the, the Son of God himself. Uh, again, uh, demons have declared that, but, but G- Peter being the first uh, human to openly uh, make, that, make that, dis- that statement. Jesus then is going to clarify what kind of Messiah he actually is. And we're told he begins to teach them that he's a Messiah that actually suffers and dies and then rises. Um, but before he gets to describing that aspect of who he is as Messiah, Christ, Uh, He talks about this aspect of his messianic work, that he is the church builder. The church builder. What kind of messiah is he? He's a church-building messiah. Church. Uh, That that language of church has, has deep Old Testament roots. It's the idea of God's people assembled. That's what the word reflects, both back in its Hebrew root and here in its Greek root. It's the idea of the assembly, the the assembled people of God. And that's what God did uh, back in in the Old Testament. He he takes his people out of Egypt, but not just saving individuals from slavery. He saves a people that he assembles together. Uh, Even even visually, the people looked forward to it, and then it happens as they they assemble before the Lord at Mount Sinai. And then he takes them into the the promised land, and sure enough, they have a a temple built right in the middle so God's people can assemble uh, together. The assembly of God's people. This picture that God comes, uh, not just to uh, to save a kind of disparate group of individuals, but but a people. Uh, an assembled people of God. Of course, now in the in the New Covenant, uh, it's not just uh, ethnically focused. It's Jew and Gentile grafted in. Uh, indeed, people from every tribe and tongue and nation uh, assemble together. All those who are rescued from sin and death through faith in the work of Jesus, 
uh, gathered together, assembled together, his church, his assembled people. And Jesus says, I will build my church. That, that really is a, is a summary of, of Jesus' mission. I like, I like the way one pastor puts it, and I think very aptly and very biblically, he says, the church is Christ's plan, and there is no other plan. The church is Christ's plan, and there is no other plan, right? Right at this moment when, when it's declared openly that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, he, and here's his plan. I will build my church. I will, I will gather, save, and assemble my people. Of course, it's a, it's a universal plan, uh, right? It's, it's the entirety of God's people down through the ages, uh, across the globe. But it's, but it's a plan that then plays out in, in local, specific places. It's a plan that's played out even, even here in New Jersey. Right? I, will build, I will build my church. So even, even there, you can, you can start to see how helpful uh, this could be to a local congregation, even us, uh, to take to heart that, that the core of who Jesus is, is a church builder. So, so, okay, take a few minutes and let's, let's go into it a little deeper. Let's even take it apart, uh, the words. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. How is the church built? Jesus says, I will build it. So often we can kind of slip into the, the notion that, well, if the church is going to grow and it's going to thrive, it's kind of, we got to do it. Uh, I was talking to a, a pastor recently, kind of a pretty big name in his, in his denomination, but he was, he, was, he was frustrated, really. You could tell, he said, it seems like now we're only, we're only talking about uh, the, the how of church life. Uh, and we're really not talking about the who, right? Talking about the how, right? And all the, the latest technique and program and here's what we need to do and get the right vision, get the right model, get the right person, right? The, the how we do it. And he says, we, we kind of lost our focus on the who, the, Jesus, uh, right? And that's, that's really true of all of us, not just his particular denomination. There's that temptation to slip into, okay, if things are going to go well, it's, it's kind of, we got to do it right, in whatever version of right happens to be, whether it's you know the, the right technique or program or the or or even even the right theology, that's what you know that's what builds the right church. Um, well, here's Jesus saying, "I will build my church. I will build it. He's the builder. It's it's, it's him, right? As we'll see, he, it's not like we're completely absent. He works through us, and we want to be faithful in the details. But our ultimate hope." Is, is, not in, is not in human efforts. It's not in what we do. It's he will. And he says, uh, he says he will build it. Right? It's a, it's a promise. It's not a maybe if all things go well, uh, maybe if all the pieces come together, or, or maybe if everybody cooperates, the church will be built. No, he says, I will build my church. He will. And so we can expect that, that the church will be built, well, numerically. That's part of it. Uh, the, the church is, is pictured uh, throughout, the, throughout the Gospels as something that, that starts small and grows, right? Like a mustard seed, small, but then, it's, then it grows. God's kingdom is reflected visibly in the church. 
You get to the book of Revelation, the end of the story, and sure enough, it has grown so much that you can't even number it. It's that big. Right? So the picture is that the church will, will grow, yeah, numerically. Now, it isn't a promise that every individual congregation will always numerically be growing. That's not what Jesus is promising here. But the church as a whole, it, it will grow numerically. That's part of it. But also, uh, the church will be built in maturity. Uh, in maturity. Um, Paul talks as about his own mission uh, as, a, as an apostle to the Gentiles, as one who's involved, used by Christ in this church-building work. And he talks about his, his mission to uh, present the saints mature in Christ. Present each one mature in Christ. So, so not, just, not just infants in Christ, but mature uh, in the Lord. Uh, or, or maybe you go back to the building analogy. And so what, the, what, what Jesus intends to do in building his church is not just a, a wooden frame of a building. Um, right? Just, just get it up. Get it standing. No, he intends to build the church in the sense of, well, it's, it's got walls. It's, it's decorated. It's, it's beautiful on the inside. It's finished. Right? Not just the rough carpentry, but the finished carpentry. Not just the, uh, that it shows up and it's functional, but it's, but it's beautiful for the Lord. That's what God Christ does and promises for, for his church. That he's going to build it in, in maturity as, as God's people grow in, in Christ-likeness, as they grow in love for him and love for others. He's, he's building his church. He's building his church. He, he will build it. Right? What, and you see what kind of confidence that gives us uh, as, as, a, as a church of Christ, as a manifestation of that larger, that larger church. Uh, it gives us a sense of anticipation, right? Kind of leaning forward. God's going God's to do it. Jesus is going to do it. He promised he will. Let's look for it. Let's, let's, we can pray big for it because Jesus promised. We can, we can attempt big things and, and hard little things because he promised he's going he's to build his church. So there's the first part of the expectation. Expect a church builder. But right in the midst of that, expect opposition and victory. So go back to our verse, verse 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell. Um, if you had the hard copy of the ESV Bible, you might see a footnote there uh, that says literally gates of Hades. That's the Greek word, Hades, uh, which sometimes can refer to, uh, refer to hell in the sense of eternal place of torment, and sometimes Hades in the sense of the, the realm of the dead, uh, the Old Testament notion of Sheol. Uh, that could be what it's referring to because there's several times in the Old Testament that use this imagery of the gates of Sheol. Psalm 107, Isaiah 38, Job 38, the gates of Sheol, the gates of death. Uh, the, the picture there is of, is of death and the power of death. Um, but we're not wrong to think about uh, the powers of darkness and Satan. Uh, that's often, we, when we hear the language of gates of hell, we, uh, a, a lot of us in Christian circles probably think Satan in some form or fashion. And we're not wrong to connect that, to connect death and Satan, because the Bible does. Um, Hebrews, for example, speaks of, um, or if you go to the book of Revelation, there is 
the, the opposition, the Satan-led opposition uh, to God and his people, and one of his key weapons is death. Right? He, he tries to destroy martyrdom uh, to, to oppose, the, oppose the work of God. So, uh, so the power of, of Satan, the opposition uh, the, of darkness, very much tied up with, with death. It all comes together in this simple phrase, expect opposition. Expect opposition. Um, because the church is built on enemy territory. Can you picture what he's saying? So Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So gates. Um, gates served a really important function in, in the ancient world. Right now, if, if you're walking around and there's there's a gate in your your home or or it's you know a college campus and oh there's the gates of the you know the campus usually it's decorative you know look it's, it's the gates decorative gate no in the ancient world this was this was critical this was your defensive fortification against attack right you close the gates of the city in order for you to be safe in order to protect uh, you from the onslaught of an of an enemy attacking. So here, gates of hell, the picture is defensive fortifications of the power of, de- of death and, uh, and Satan. And so here, and, uh, and the building of the church is the, is the attacking of those gates. Uh, so you get the picture, if the, if the church is being built, it's being built on enemy territory, which of course makes perfect sense. How is the church built? Uh, it's, it's when Jesus takes those who are under the power of darkness in the kingdom of darkness and brings them into the kingdom of Christ. It's, it's, it's enemy territory that, that comes. right? Even, even the perfecting of the saints, even the growth and holiness of the church is like taking the darkness that's in here and, and having, it, having it rooted out. Right? It's, it's, it's enemy territory, as it, as it were. Uh, so, if, so if the church is built... It's built by taking enemy territory, uh, and so we can we can expect we can expect opposition. Uh, Jesus will build his church, and there will be opposition. Uh, in our in our evening Bible study, we're we're working through the book of Acts, and we just started, but we're going to see this very quickly that as the church starts to grow in the book of Acts, uh, very quickly there's opposition. All right, as soon as growth comes, you see opposition come. It grows. There's persecution. It grows, and there's hypocrisy and uh, and corruption from within. Uh, it grows, and there's divisions within the church. Right? There's this pattern of growth opposition. Yeah, because the church is built on enemy territory. There's there's the gates of hell uh, trying to trying to keep out the growth of the church, the building of the church. And here is here is Jesus. Uh, instructing his apostles, who are the main characters in the book of Acts, and saying, you guys got to expect this. It's going to happen. There will be opposition. Uh, right? And, and, of course, that's an encouragement to us today. Nothing's really changed. We, too, should expect opposition. Uh, that Jesus will build his church, but there, but there will be pushback. Right? It's, spiritual, it's a spiritual battle. Right? Maybe you could put it this way. Right? We're going to have our congregational meeting, vote on church leaders. What, what do you think? Do you think uh, the powers of darkness are kind of indifferent to all that? Eh, yeah, do whatever you want. Eh. Right? 
We're, we're making a spiritual statement in, in saying we're, we want to make sure the gifts in the church are employed, uh, that Christ's sheep need to be cared for, that, that needs within the body need to be ministered to. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a church advancing activity. And you better believe that the powers of darkness take note. And, and we can expect pushback. Right? Satan is not happy when, when the church grows and builds and employs and ministers. Uh, we can expect opposition. But Jesus tells us that opposition, yes, but victory. Right? The opposition doesn't win. The gates don't prevail. Right? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? The church opposed, uh, but, the, but the gates of hell are defeated. Right? The, the, the onslaught uh, of the church, the growth of the church, the gates are, are torn down. They, they, can't, they can't defend the enemy, enemy territory. And Jesus says that's, that's, his, that's his, his church. Um, and in, in fact, you can see how this, this pattern is really a picture of Jesus in his own life. I don't think it's all a coincidence that our, our larger passage puts the church and Jesus side by side. Uh, believers and Jesus kind of back and forth, back and forth. Think about, think about what Jesus now begins to reveal to his disciples. He says, suffer many things, be killed, but I'll rise from the dead. This is, this is, he's telling them, this is the story of my life, expect it. And at the same time, he tells them, guess what the story of the church is going to be? There's going to be opposition, but it won't prevail. Yeah, because it's, it's Christ's body, it's his church, we're, we're, we're connected. We, we, the church lives out the story of Jesus, just as the Jesus, uh, the opposition comes and it's real and it hurts, but it's, it doesn't win, right? Victory, resurrection. So that's the, that's the church of Christ. Opposition, yes, we can expect it. We don't, we don't have to be surprised by it. What in the world is happening? We expect it. Uh, we don't have to, we have, don't have to bemoan, uh, like, like oh, this shouldn't happen, you know, disaster. No, expect opposition. We don't have to be afraid of it. Right? It doesn't win. Just like the grave doesn't defeat Jesus, he rises in victory. So that the opposition of Satan and death is not going to defeat God's people, the Church of Christ. Right? The gates of hell shall not prevail, and we expect it. So we expect opposition. We expect victory. Finally, we can expect to be used, it, but people uh, are used in the construction process. Here we actually back up to the to the first part of our verse. And, and no, we're not ignoring that first part. That's a key part of it. So, verse 18, here's, the, here's from the beginning. Uh, Peter has just confessed, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, it's that first part, a lot of people discuss, what does that mean? You are Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Uh, I actually don't think it's quite as, as complex as sometimes it's made out to be. Um, you, can, you can kind of back up to the context and see what's going on. So you have, so you have Jesus. He's saying to his whole group of disciples, 
right? First, it's who do other people say that I am? Then he says to the whole group, who do you, whole group, plural, who do you all say that I am? And, and Peter speaks up, right? He's, he's answering the question, who do you all? Right, so he's, he's speaking himself, but he's speaking on behalf of the group, right? He's the kind of the spokesman of the group. Right? Not, not someone like exalted, completely different in a different category than the rest of the twelve, but the, but the spokesman. Prominent, but, but not unequal. You could call uh, him first among equals of the apostles. He's the, he's the spokesman of the... This is a play on words. Uh, he says, you are Peter. The word Peter means rock. Uh, and then he says, so he says, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Uh, so Jesus uh, is talking about, it seems clear, a role that Peter is playing. And I think the key to understanding the difficulties is don't overplay this and don't underplay it. Right? Sometimes this, this language has been overplayed to say what Jesus is doing here is installing Peter as the first pope. Uh, the first of a long line of popes in succession. And, and I think you can look at it on the surface and just say, that's overplaying what Jesus is saying. Uh, that, that's taking a statement and really blowing it out of proportion. It doesn't seem to be what he's doing. And if you study the book of Acts, it's pretty clear that Jesus, that Peter doesn't act like Pope in the book of Acts. But that's a, a larger question. In Protestant circles, I think we can underplay this and say, well, Jesus isn't saying anything about Peter. Uh, like, it's, it's something completely different. It, it seems pretty clear. He's talking about a role that Peter has. Hence the play on rock. Uh, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. But again, within the context of what he's saying, it's not Peter being pulled out as completely different than all the rest of the apostles, but Peter as spokesman, as, as first among equals of the apostles, as kind of the face of the, of the group. And, and again, if you want to see how this plays out, how Peter himself and the rest of the apostles understood this, you just study the book of Acts, which... Again, if you join us in the evening, we'll do. And there what you see is Peter, sure enough, playing a very prominent role, uh, right? He's the one who preaches on the day of Pentecost. He's the one who takes the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time. But it's not like Peter doing this and uh, in distinction from, in fact, he represents the group, right? The Spirit falls on all of them, and Peter, speaking for the group, explains. Uh, or Peter, on behalf of the church, takes the gospel uh, to, the, to the Gentiles. Uh, even here, the, the next verse uh, kind of embodies that idea. The next verse uh, is this language of binding and loosing, uh, a subject for a whole other sermon. But, uh, but he says, gives Peter, says, you know, whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Well, that very same language is used in Matthew 19, uh, just a, a, a couple, or excuse me, Matthew 18, a couple chapters later. And there Jesus is saying that binding and loosing all applies to all the apostles and the church as a whole that they build, right? So it's not Peter gets this special privilege or prerogative. He actually bronze it out and talks to the whole group and the whole church that they represent. So in other words, Peter's involved, but it's not some, some drastically different role. He's an apostle who lays the foundation of the church with the other apostles, the church that is now built upon them. Okay, there's the, there's the explanation. Let's go to really the, the core of the point here, uh, which is Jesus builds the church, uses people. He says, I'm going to build my church, but I'm going to use you, Peter. 
Uh, and he goes on to, to say, I'm going to build, I will build my church, but I'm going to use you apostles. Uh, and through the Spirit coming onto each one, I will build my church, Jesus says, but I'm going to use all the people of God. And we've seen that throughout our series. Uh, how God's instruction plan, his, his role and, and purpose within the church is to use all the different servants as a part of it. Right? People are his construction plan. Uh, it's, it's not us doing it instead of Jesus, but it's Jesus is doing this work, and he's, he's amazingly going to work through us uh, in different ways, according to different gifts and different callings. Uh, but yeah, his, his plan includes... Uh, maybe your first reaction to that is, whoa, Jesus could never use me uh, to build the church. Uh, you know, maybe... Maybe some spiritual superstar, he, he uses people like that, but he's not going to use me. I'm not very impressive. I mess up all the time. It's good to read this passage in the larger context, because what do you see as you keep reading? But P Peter immediately messing up horribly, right? He, he, he just says that you're the Christ, and, and, and Peter, uh, Jesus commends him, God revealing this to him, uh, and then he's immediately rebuking Jesus. Jesus, you're wrong. It was from the lips of Satan in the wilderness temptation, basically. Tempting Jesus, you don't have to die. You can get all the kingdoms without death. Uh, but here he rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Peter not exactly showing up as spiritual superstar. And we know Peter's story to know he continues to have some big, big mess-ups. Denying Jesus, struggling with, with Gentile inclusion within the church, and so forth. Uh, so God uses people, Christ uses people in the construction plan, but not perfect people by any stretch. He uses us in our, in our, in our weakness, in our, in our sin. Uh, and so, so don't immediately say, oh, he could never use me. He could use Peter. He, he knew Peter's weakness, uh, and he works, he works through it. Uh, he works through it. Maybe your, your reaction is, okay, well, he uses people, but maybe not, maybe not me right here. I got, I got too much going on. You know, there's, there's all this difficulty and, and struggle in my life right now. Maybe when I get over the difficulty, then God could use me a little bit. Um, but, but actually, God uses people right in the middle of the difficulty. Again, the larger context, remember how Jesus is, is saying his people, the church, side by side with his, his own life, <clears throat> right? How does, how does Jesus do his, uh, do his church building work? Uh, is it, well, I got too much going on right now. Maybe when I'm done with all that dying and rising stuff, then I can do some good for the church. Actually, that's exactly how Jesus does his work. It's right by in the middle of the difficulty, the mess of going to the cross uh, and dying, that you get the, the church getting life. And so he turns then to his disciples and says, you're going to walk the same path. Right? If anybody's going to come after me, you're going to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Translate that into God using us in the, in the, the, in the building work of the church. It's actually right in the middle of the difficulty. It's right in the middle of the, of the sacrifice and the hardships and the difficulties that God actually builds his church, right? You can see that down through church history. You can see that in individual lives of individual people. 
right? It's, it's not when you get over the hard stuff that God uses you. It's actually right in the middle of it. Uh, probably for, for some of you, he's already using you, and you just don't even see it, uh, right? I, 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 I think of a conversation I had this week, and, and you know, someone, oh, man, oh, my word. Yeah, this person going through difficulty, but God is using them right there in the midst of the difficulty, and I can, I'm like raising my hand like, you don't have any idea how my faith is strengthened because of the difficulty that you're going through faithfully. Right? That's what God does. Uh, he, he does it right in the midst of the hardship. It's going to look different. Right? It, it's it's you, Your gifts and your opportunities are going to look different than, than maybe an elder or a deacon. Or, but, but not on the other side of hardship, but right in the middle of it. Uh, God working through you to encourage others, to point others to Christ with your words, with your example. Uh, it's, the, it's the road of Christ, right? It's through, it's through the ugliness, the, the, the death, the, the difficulty, the cross that God brings about resurrection. The church, right? Here's what it is. That's what we've been talking about for all these weeks. Now we're kind of looking, okay, well, now what? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll elect some new officers today. Okay, now what? Well, Jesus tells us. We, we can expect some key things. We can expect that Christ is going to build his church. That he's going to do it. It's, it's his work. We can, we can anticipate it. We can believe it. He's going to do it. We can expect that there will be opposition. Uh, but the opposition isn't going to win. And we can expect that he's going to use us. Yeah, with all our Peter-like imperfections, with all the struggles and the difficulties, he's going he's gonna to use us in the construction, because that's what he does. Because it, it shows forth his life and his power. Let's look for it. Let's pray for it. Let's, let's anticipate it. He will build his church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, for your word, how it... Lord, reveals your goodness, your plan, your power. And Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our day, just as you promised, uh, that you would build your church around the world uh, by saving men and women and boys and girls out of darkness and into light. Uh, Lord, by perfecting even us. We pray for it around the world. We pray for it here um, in this place. Lord, do your good work and glorify your name, we ask in Jesus' name.